Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are going through the book of Galatians, Saved and Fruitful. It's a very big uh, salvation letter, but we end up um, being fruitful believers too as the gospel takes root in our hearts and our lives and we produce that fruit that uh, he wants to produce in our lives. Uh, To set the scene for where we are going today, um, adoption. Adoption is a wonderful and powerful act of love. I've got a sister who was adopted into my family as a baby, only five weeks of age when she was adopted into our family. I can't remember that, of course, but I was about two and a bit years older than her. Uh, But Louise, my sister, uh, I've always seen her as my sister and nothing short of that. I love her and she's always been a beautiful member of our family. I did get permission to talk about it last night, so it's okay. (laughs) Closest to me in age with my siblings, we've always treated her as our sister. Thanking God for her. Louise was simply loved and chosen by mother and father. She didn't do anything at five weeks of age to promote herself, to pick me, pick me, not at all. Mum and dad simply loved her and adopted her as their very own daughter. A wonderful act of, uh, of love. And today we're going to see Paul take us in that same direction as we think about the way God adopts us into his family. And this springs out of uh, justification by faith alone. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go to Galatians. We're going to read from verse 15 through to 4. Chapter 4, verse 7, as we sort of cover this passage today. Starting at verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. But scripture, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither. Uh, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this really powerful, transforming truth of Scripture. We ask Holy Spirit today, as we just begin to think through this passage here, we pray that you'll just open up our hearts again as we think about justification by faith alone, but also what flows out of that is this loving adoption into your family, Lord. Please help us to see that today. Please help to open up our eyes to embrace this glorious relationship that you call us into. And may our hearts respond with love and worship before you in thankfulness and gratitude. Father, we ask that we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been reading through the book of Galatians, Paul has this long and extended dialogue here with the Galatians who are deceived and confused over this point how it is to get right with God. He'll actually go on to the remainder of chapter 4 here before he, com- before he completes this discussion or point here about justification by faith alone. He spends a long time here actually talking about this with the Galatians. Only to highlight, it's a big deal for the Galatians, it's a big deal for Paul, and it really is a big deal for us as well that God would actually spend so much time in this book trying to help us to get this right. What Paul's also doing here in the early part of Galatians, he's actually building what you might call a theological platform or uh, the foundation of truths about God. He He wants to build these foundational truths about who God is. And then the second half of the book, he's going to get into, as it were, gospel practical application of what that truth means and looks like in our everyday lives. So he's still building, as it were, these foundations about who God is in these early parts of the book of Galatians. The Jews and the Galatian churches have had generations of teaching that being made right before God is by strictly obeying the law of Moses. They've been brought up with generation after generation thinking that particular way. False teachers have come in and they're telling people that you've got to be, to be, fully, to be fully right with God. You need to be fully obedient with the law of Moses plus trusting in Jesus. So it's Jesus plus something. And then God will grant you salvation, is what the false teachers have been coming into this church and telling them. The Jews, the Jewish nation at the time, or for previous generations as well, saw Moses and the law that he received as the ultimate revelation of God. And then they turned that into a man-centered salvation by doing good works or by doing good deeds through this law. Generation after generation of the Jewish nation went down this pathway, thinking like that. The Jews had actually created, or their religious teachers had created, something like 600 plus laws out of the first five books of the Bible to make this complicated system that if you went through that whole system that you could work your way to God and you would achieve your own salvation by what you've done. 
Jesus, the promised Messiah, though, has come and he has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Paul gets this revelation of who Jesus Christ is and now preaches that gospel to share the good news that the Messiah has come, the Messiah has done this for us. Paul now that is going in this passage, as he's writing this letter back to the Galatians to help them understand where they're going wrong, he wants to explain where and how the law serves its purpose. And also wants to see us, uh, help us to see that Jesus, the promise of Jesus, looks glorious as we think about uh, this purpose here that uh, the law serves, to make Jesus look great. Here's where we're heading today, after a really long introduction. Here's where we're going to head. The promise of God, through Jesus, yields us this priceless blessing of adoption into God's family. The promise of God through Jesus yields us the priceless blessing of adoption into his family, God's family. Firstly, Paul's going to explain and talk about here the law, the law of Moses, so that it highlights for us uh, the promise of Jesus. In verses 15 to 18, which we read there before, Paul delves back into Bible history, trying to actually build this understanding here. And Bible history is about Abraham and Moses at this particular time. Abraham first receives this promise from God that he'll be a father of a nation. We looked a little bit at that last week. And from this nation that will come from Abraham, an offspring will come. And this offspring will be a blessing to all other nations all around the world. Paul tells us that offspring, that blessing is ultimately Jesus Christ who came through the nation of Israel. This is a promise or a covenant that God has made with Abraham. The promise of Jesus, the ultimate blessing for us. History again, about 430 years later, Moses comes onto the scene called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And here at Mount Sinai, Moses and the people meet with God and God gives them another covenant, the covenant of law, the Ten Commandments, all known as the law of Moses. That's how they would refer to, if you're reading through the Bible, it's the law of Moses. So holding those two things, the promise given to Abraham about a nation and a blessing, the law given to Moses, here's what's happening. Paul's point is this, that the law for the the Jews here in the Galatian church, that you are so strictly obeying for being right before God, that law isn't to knock out, as it were, the promise made to Abraham. One doesn't supersede the other like, now, okay, it's not the promise made to God, uh, God made to Abraham first, and now it's overruled by what's happened with Moses. Paul said, that's not how it works. Have a look with me at verse 17. This is what he says. This is what I mean. Thanks for explaining to us, Paul. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, that's after the promise to Abraham, does not annul or cross out or cancel a covenant promise previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Paul's saying that's not how it works. God didn't do that. Okay, here's one and something else comes 430 years later, so we just forget about that. And now, no, Paul said that's not it. These are promises that God has made. It doesn't cross out that. The promise still is the promise. Okay, Paul then asks the very question that they are thinking. In verse 19, why the law? What's the purpose here of Moses and the law? What's the purpose of this? Paul's Paul's asking the very question that's in their minds. What is God's law? It is the glory of God. 
It is his perfections revealed to us as we go through and think about what's in his law. God's law is a beautiful picture of God's holiness written out for us to see. Every one of God's laws is a good thing. Not a bad thing, it's a good thing. To not lie, to not steal are good things. If only our culture and community could just abide by those things, imagine how much goodness there may be. It's a good thing, it's not a bad thing at all. But here's what happens when we apply that law to ourselves. We try and live by that moral code, not to earn righteousness. But here's what happens when we do that. We fall short. We don't make it. We miss the mark. It's up there, as in this high point of living, but we we just sort of land down there because we just don't do it. We can't do it. We're unable to do it. We sin. This is what sin is. It's missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory of God. It's up there, but we fall short of the way he calls us to live. And for that, we are under God's right judgment. It's good. It's right. We've missed the mark. We're under his judgment and under his curse, as we looked at that last week as well. So Paul is telling us here that the purpose of the law isn't to make ourselves right to now present that before God. Now, God, look what I've done. Look how good I am. Paul's saying it's not there for that purpose. The purpose of the law, if we're really honest, it is to restrain us in our living, but at the same time, it's to show us how utterly weak we are. We can't do it. We fail. We need something. We're in desperately need for something. It's not a way to work our way to God. We look at God's law, we look at even the Ten Commandments and we're defeated. I can't do it. How am I going to get to God? To confirm that, Paul goes on and says this in verse 22. Scripture or the law, as it had, has imprisoned us in sin. That's what the law's done for us. It's actually locked us up in condemnation because I failed. Verse 23, Paul says the same thing again. I'm held captive or I'm I'm imprisoned by the strict demands of the law. It it can't set me free. I'm actually bound up by it because I look at it and it's just, I fail. It's revealing how weak I am. There's nothing wrong with God's law. It's good, but it's me. And it's you. We can't do it. We're not able to live up to it. So the purpose of God's law is to reveal God's holiness, which is good and great and glorious, but it's also to show us our inability to live up to God's standards. It's meant to humble us. It's meant to say, I need help. I need someone to rescue me. I can't do this. This is where God's law then begins to magnify this promise of rescue, this promise of salvation. What's Paul been doing for the Galatians? He's been trying to refocus them away from trying to do, 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 to actually trust and believe what God has done in our justification or being made right. Look again at verse 22 as Paul's doing this focusing again here. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, comma, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The promise made to Abraham, 
that ultimately would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth is salvation. It's rescue. It's to do what I couldn't do. It's to do where I failed. That's the glorious promise. Now, you may not see this at the moment, but that is the greatest blessing that you and I could ever receive, is a right standing before the Lord and salvation. Better than a new car, better than a holiday around the world, better than a new house, nothing wrong with any of those things, but a right standing before the Lord and salvation is the greatest blessing that we can receive. And if we get that, we'll actually see how great and glorious God is. Paul again repeats this promise again for them for the next two verses, so they actually are getting it. Verse 23, he says, Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The coming faith is the promise, Jesus Christ. Verse 24, Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul is not going to let up on this. He's three and a half chapters in it and he's still talking about the same thing. He wants us and he wants the Galatians to know that God's promise of salvation is justification, big word, to be made right with God in Christ alone by faith alone. That's how we receive the promise. Have you heard me say that over the last couple of weeks? I reckon you would have heard me say that a few times over the last few weeks. I'm just trying to hang with Paul here in the book of Galatians as he goes through this. He's actually going over it and going over it and going over it and sort of coming back at different angles. He's not letting up on the Galatians and he's not going to let up on us. Very often our default position is, I've got to do something in the sense of get God's approval. It's a big issue. Jesus has done that for us. Paul's purpose here is to show how glorious the promise is, the promise of Christ, in the light of our weakness and our failing before God and his law. Nothing wrong with his law, it's good. We just can't do it because we're sinful. Paul wants us to see that the gospel really is good news, not just a little addition to my life. It is life-saving because it's that sort of news. Flowing on from that then, Paul now wants us to see, as he's building this um, truths of who God is, theological foundations, depth of understanding of what God has done for us, he wants us to see how priceless this blessing that God has given to us in the promise in Jesus Christ. Have a look in verse 25 and 26. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the condemnation of the law. We no longer failed in that sense because Jesus has fulfilled it for us. We're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Don't miss that truth there in verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith. Please don't put on a cultural filter and call that a sexist comment. Paul, didn't you mean to write sons and daughters? What do you mean sons? Paul knows what he's doing there. And it's not a sexist comment. The Bible is not misogynistic or woman-hating. Jesus did more to elevate women than any other person in history. That is not a sexist comment there. 
in the culture of Paul's day, when someone was called a son of their father, particularly in the Roman culture, it carried the meaning that the son, now called the son of the father, shared in all the blessings of what the father would give him. It was a status. A status. So Paul's trying to communicate here a status now as men and women, as a status of a son who receives everything from the father. Paul's communicating here this loving generosity of God in and through the promise of Jesus Christ. So he's saying in the culture of his day, that sort of a status is what we have received now because of our trust, our faith in what Christ has done. In Jesus Christ, now God gives us the status of a son in Paul's culture of that day. God freely gives us all things in Christ. We're not a slave of God who just receives a few scraps to just keep us alive and I'll just drip feed you enough to keep you going. That's not how God does it. The promise of God in Christ is to receive the generous bounty of all of who God is for us. Justification by faith alone is the entry point into that blessing that God now gives to us. Paul uses another word here to describe this inheritance of blessing as well as that we receive from God through the gospel. Have a look in verses, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 as, we, as we're building on this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's gospel in a nutshell in those couple of verses right there. But it's got this word here that's really important, adoption. That we might receive adoption as sons. Now that brings a whole new level of meaning to the gospel right there, adoption. Let me share with this example I read earlier this week as I was um, studying this passage and uh, one of the commentators wrote this. He said, imagine a courtroom scene. Because when we use words like justification, it is like a legal term. Imagine a courtroom scene. We're standing in the judgment court of God. We're all guilty criminals for breaking God's law, falling short of God's standard of goodness. Deliberately breaking God's law, mind you, as well. God sits in the judgment seat as the perfect judge. He doesn't get anything wrong. Totally impartial. The sentence is read out. In steps Jesus, as the sentence is read out, guilty, and he says, I have paid the penalty with my blood, judge. I have redeemed them. Now, God could simply just say, okay, case dismissed, next. God could do that. But here's the picture. Here's the picture that God gives us with adoption as we think about that scenario. That's a real scenario. We are guilty criminals, but Jesus has redeemed us. Here's the picture we need to see. Jesus says, I've paid their price. God, the perfect judge, as it were, hops out of his seat, comes down to me in the dock, puts his arm around me and says, you're coming home with me. I'm adopting you into my family. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Not just, no, next case, next. You're coming home with me. I'm adopting you into my family. 
See, the understanding of the Holy Spirit wants us to see is, this, is that God doesn't just clinically, as it were, declare us innocent and just move on. Like there's no feeling there at all. There's no connection to that person at all. It's just a clinical decision and oh, next case. No. As we understand what's happening here, God in overwhelming love calls us his son with the, the full rights of a son. And he adopts us into his family with all the benefits of a full family member. God graciously sends his son, Jesus, as the promise to rescue us and makes us right before him. And God gladly calls us his son with all the rights of sonship that come with that. This is the loving relationship that the Holy Spirit wants us to see here through the word adoption as we think about what's happening. Look at how Paul sees it in verse 6. And he says this in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Think about what he's saying there. You're not becoming a son little bit by little bit. Like for the Jews, if I can just work a little bit harder, I'll get a little bit closer to being a son. What's it say there? It says, no, we are sons. We are sons. The instant, the instant that we are called by God and born again by the Holy Spirit, our status has immediately changed. We are, we are, we are, we are sons. That's how God sees us. Not as an outsider. In his family, adopted by him. That's a beautiful picture. I read that about six or seven years ago, travelling home from Tajikistan from an open doors trip. It was about two or three in the morning. Whoever knows what time. On my watch said it was two or three in the morning. And I read that and I just thought, that's amazing. I'm God's son. I'm God's son. You are his son. It just struck me in the I was sitting by myself. Thank the Lord there was no one beside us. I could stretch out on the trip home. But it just struck me at that moment. What a beautiful thing. The promise of the blessing, though, gets deeper with adoption. Have a look. We have this present experience of the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit witnesses within us the relationship of a father that we haven't got. Look in verse 6. We can see there, we can cry out what? Abba, Father. That's a picture there, like a child, like a son, as it were, needing help and crying out. We've, many of us experience children, and it's that cry of help. This is, the, this is the picture that Paul's trying to give us here of this love relationship that we can experience with God's Spirit. We can cry out, Father. Now, for the Jews, they had no category for this view of God. They just they couldn't see him as a father like this. For, for the Jewish nation, it was, it was a really cold, clinical sort of understanding of who God is. Like When Paul used this word, they said, we don't know what you're talking about, Paul. But Paul's trying to give them a reality here of this loving relationship that God enters into with us. Not only does he justify us and declare us right because of what Jesus has done, but he lovingly adopts us, adopts us into his family in an environment of care and compassion. We can call him Father. They had no category for that. But that's what he's trying to impress upon us. That is who God is. He's a loving Father. 
Here's where I want us to land and as we think about adoption as an outworking, as an outworking of our justification by faith alone or our right standing in God through Christ alone. Here's three things. Three things I want us to see here that come out of adoption which I think are very powerful. First one, we have an eternal father in God. We have an eternal father in God. Now, many of us may have mixed experiences with our earthly fathers. I'm sure that's the case. Some of us could have been horribly abused, tormented in multiple ways by earthly fathers. And I know that would come with deep trauma and pain. And I feel sorry for anybody who's gone through and experienced a father in that particular way. If there's one thing that our current culture and generation is suffering from, it is a fatherless generation. We have fathers who are just abdicating their responsibilities, not being the father figure they should be, and the the fruits of that is a culture that is imploding in so many respects. Other of us may have had a good father. I had a good father, although it was cut short because he died when I was just before I turned 15. But I had a wonderful experience with my father. They've, they've cared for us and we experience a safe place to be with a good, loving father. There are no perfect fathers here on earth. But, but, we have a perfect heavenly father who knows us better than we know ourselves. We have a perfect heavenly father who knows what we need, when we need it, and never fails to provide. That's the father Paul wants us to see. Everybody longs for a father like that. One that we can be loved by, one that we can count on when things get tough. In Christ's promise, through justification by faith, we enter into this relationship with God, we have this perfect fatherhood of God when we are adopted into his family. This loving father, our heavenly father, will never leave us because he's an eternal father. That's precious to think about that we have. The second aspect of adoption is this, that we receive an eternal family. I'm also aware that we're going to have mixed experiences when it comes to families as well. A loving family is a beautiful and safe place to be. It's a a people that you can be with where you can share uh, the joys and the pains of life without judgment or condemnation in the safe place of a loving, loving and caring family. This is what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be like a foretaste or a sampling of that uh, heavenly family. A a place where people can safely share life with each other. A a place where people can receive loving accountability in that zone when we're going astray. But a place also where we can receive God's mercy and grace within the church as a family, as as just a foretaste of this heavenly family. A place where we can be as we are. We don't have to put a show on for people. We can just come. The family knows who I am. And they walk that journey with me to help me to grow in Christ. Our midweek connect and grow groups is probably an excellent place where this family can work. An ideal context for church family life. And might I just say at the moment, we are going really low with people connected to Connect and Grow Groups. We're probably at at about 30%. Here's what you're missing out on. You're missing out on catching up with each other in a personal, intimate environment of maybe six, eight, ten people 
where we actually grow in the gospel, we talk about God's word, we pray with each other, and then we help each other out practically as well in that environment. It's a beautiful picture of God's family working together, loving and caring for each other. Do you want to experience God's family? Get involved in a Connect and Grow group. To have that intimate relationship there of actually experiencing God's family, loving and caring for each other and growing in the gospel. Here's another experience of this family as well. God's family as we see in the church. You know, sometimes we travel or maybe we move locations. Here's what you get. When we get together with other Christians in a new church, in a new place or a new location, don't you feel an immediate bond? Don't you feel like an immediate togetherness with those people? There's something that actually unites you together with them. Well, that's that taste of heaven, as it were, of the eternal family within a church. That's the family of God. That's the family that we are called into, that we taste in a way now, but it's going to be an eternal eternal, uh, context when we leave this life and roll on. Here's the third one, the last one. This last precious blessing and adoption is an eternal home. What do you have with a father or family? You have a place you can call home. When you're adopted into that family, you have a really safe place to call home. That's through the promise of Christ. We have this glorious hope that is seated deep within us. We have this longing for an eternal home where we can all be together. Now, I've shared this with my family many times when we have wonderful times together. I say home is a glorious and wonderful place. Family is a wonderful place to be. A place of joy and a place of laughter, a place of love and compassion that we experience within our family as well as the hardships as well. But, as I tell my family, we can look forward to heaven as our eternal home because at some point in your lives, both Laurel and I, we will not be in your lives any longer. We will die. But the eternal home will be the place where we will gather together forever, never to leave each other's presence. That's the eternal promise that we get as well through adoption as we think about that. It's a glorious hope to just place in our minds to carry us through. This is the promise of adoption in Jesus Christ. This is the promise of the gospel that we can inherit And if the truth be known, this is the hope of every human heart. People want a father who will love them, care for them, no matter where and no matter when, no matter who they are. People are looking for that type of a father. People are looking for a family that surrounds me and supports me with genuine love. That's the cry of the human heart. I want that family. They want a home. They want a safe place that they can rest and they'll never be let down within that home. This is the longing of every person. If if I just had that, I could just be a more complete person. Well, this is the story of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what satisfies the human heart. Not by law, not by trying to earn my way in there, but by grace. By simply trusting and believing in who Christ is and he adopts me into those promises. This is the adoption that the Holy Spirit calls us into by faith. It's the same spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father, and he's there. He 
He won't leave us. This is the sort of love and identity as a child of God and his family that will carry us through the deepest despairs and our darkest days. Anchor to this true hope, witnessed within us by God's Spirit, an eternal Father, an eternal family, and an eternal home will carry us through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we come and uh, look at what you're telling us through Galatians. Father, we thank you for the promise, the promise that has come. We look back on that promise that the arrival of Jesus at the right time, born under the law, born by a woman, to redeem us, Lord, from the law. We thank you for that glorious promise that we receive it by faith, by trusting and believing in who you are and what you've done. But Lord, then we enter into a whole other realm. Justification by faith is like the entry point to experiencing who God is, not just some clinical, cold, unfeeling relationship. Experiencing who God is, our Heavenly Father, called into his family, ultimately with a home. Holy Spirit, I pray today, please let those truths resonate within our hearts. Help people to separate, Lord, from maybe the grief and the trauma they've experienced through a bad father, a bad family or a bad home. Give them the, an opening of the eyes of their heart, Lord, to see a perfect heavenly father. Ultimately, a perfect family and glory and an eternal home. May that hope, Lord, cause us to cling to you and walk confidently in this world, thankful and delighting in your greatness and goodness. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.